Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome back to another installment of the One Man Fast Break. Did want to get right into it because those two semifinals games had a lot to talk about. Did not want to waste any time with that. Let's get into the big game of the semifinal Italy versus Spain. A classic game between two classic rivals, two big nations going at it for an opportunity to play in the Euro Cup final, Italy and Spain. Right off the bat, I wanted to talk about a couple of players. First one for the Italy, the winning team. I wanted to talk about Federico Chiesa. Young Juve star, looking like he's already a star. He's going to be a superstar in the next couple of years. Uh, he was the best player at Juve this year, at least to me, especially in the Champions League. Uh, he was the best player when they got knocked out, unfortunately, by Porto on away goals. He scored two goals in the last game. Porto advancing on away goals, which surprisingly is no longer going to be the case at the Champions League. Um, there will be no away goal rule, which definitely changes the dynamic of the Champions League going forward. But we'll save that conversation for another day. Um they want to talk about his goal. Chiesa's goal was beautiful. Just the whole goal itself from the beginning to the end. Started with a pass from Donnarumma. As soon as Spain shot the ball, he grabbed it. He started the fast he started practically a fast break. Um well, no pun intended, but I guess pun intended. Um but he started the fast break with a pass and ended up leading to a Chiesa goal where he, he curled it around the defender really had no chance. The goalie just stood there, watched it because no goalkeeper on the planet is getting to that uh, to that shot. Um, that's the main thing that I want to talk about with Federico Chiesa. It's just he's going to be a star. He already is a star, and Roberto Mancini realized really early that hey, I got to play this guy. If I don't play him, he came in and made an instant impact in one of the other games where. They were struggling. They weren't doing much. He came on and scored the goal. So he's been he's been otherworldly. And now Roberto Mancini realized, hey, I got to start this guy. And he's paying dividends for him. On the other end, I did want to cover Alvaro Morata. Um, when it comes to Spain, he's been the main talking point at the Euros. Even before the Euros in the friendly games he had so many chances to score he wasn't scoring ever since he left Juventus and Real Madrid and came to Chelsea it just seems like he's been a completely different striker nobody really knows what happened to uh, Morata ever since I don't know what happens to strikers when they go to Chelsea it just seems like they forget how to play Timo Werner is another example they just lack confidence Fernando Torres was another example of players who came in with prolific goal-scoring records, came to Chelsea, didn't really succeed. Ever since Drogba, it seemed like the only other guy who did anything of relevance that was similar to his previous stops was Diego Costa. But didn't want to get sidetracked there. Didn't want to speak on Morata. And um, first of all, great goal. Uh, he set up the play for the goal to equalize, make it 1-1, and send the game into extra time in the 80th minute. I thought that when Italy got the first goal that they really were probably going to be able to hold on. Even though Spain had almost, what, 70% 70 possession in the game, 
you know, they really were they were creating chances, but it just you know, Italy felt like they were still in control, and you know, the the goal Morata came off the bench made such a great run, one two with Danny Olmo, simple left footed finish into the corner. You know, Donnarumma was sliding to the right, thinking that he was going to go across the goal. Morata shot it near post, and once you guess wrong as a goalie, it's a simple tap-in finish. But still, under the pressure, under the moment, a good goal. Now let's get to the more important part, the penalty shootout. Um, should he have taken the penalty, right? That's the main question. I personally, I guess hindsight is twenty twenty, right? I personally wouldn't have sent him out there just because... Yes, he has scored the goal. Yes, he has some confidence. But you know overall he's the demons are in his head, right? You're thinking about the moment. And being a, I think it also plays a big part into when you take the penalty and what the stakes are at the time that you take it. Now, if you're the first penalty taker and you miss, you know, your team could rebound, the goalkeeper could make a save. There's a lot of different things that can happen if you're the first one. Now, if you're closer to the end, which Marata was the fourth penalty taker, yeah, that plays a big part because most times you're going to have to score your penalty to either advance your team or to keep the penalty shootout going. And, you know, Italy and Spain both missed their first one. Locatelli missed his first. And then um, Danny Olmo shot it over the bar. So Marata came up. He had to you know, scores to keep the penalty shootout going. And then it would have been sudden death, which would have been the fifth penalty. But he just he just had a feeling that he was going to miss. Like, everything had been showing that this guy was going to miss. And the penalty itself was a terrible penalty. It'd be one thing if, you know, you shot it correctly, you shot it with power, the goalkeeper guessed right, made a good save. But it was no power. It was sort of, you know, a little bit, you know, he... Shot it like practically at the goalie. The goalie didn't have to dive. He didn't have to fully stretch to get to the pass. No power. So it was an easy save for Donnarumma. And um, yeah, Morata is going to have a lot of thinking to do over the, you know, three, four weeks that we have before the season starts up again. And uh, he's playing at Juventus, so uh, in um, Serie A. And speaking of. Four penalties into a great penalty. Uh, Jorginho from Chelsea. Just, and it's incredible. The penalty, the the calmness. He looked like the coolest man in the building. Like he just was not worried. I have no dog in the fight. And I was nervous <laughs> him shooting the penalty. And for y'all that don't know, I'm a, I'm a big Chelsea fan. So I know that he's a great penalty shooter. So I was very confident that he was probably going to make it. But still, the nerves, you know, the big moment. It's the semifinal. You're getting close to, uh, you know, the biggest tournament. You're about to be in the finals. And that is such a big penalty. It has so much pressure. And it just seems so simple. Like, he literally rolled the ball into the goal. Like, with no power. Look, if you're going to do the no power, like Jorginho, you better make sure the goalkeeper dives the wrong way. Otherwise, it looks really bad. It's kind of similar to the Panenka, right? Once you pull it off, it looks amazing. But if you don't pull it off and the goalkeeper makes a save, you look like an idiot. You know, kind of similar to what Sergio Aguero did um, very recently in uh, the Premier League game versus Chelsea. He tried to chip it down the middle. Eduard Mendy stood, stood his ground and caught the ball. And 
that ended up being a turning point. Chelsea ended up winning that game. And if Aguero scores that, they go into the uh, halftime up 2-0. But that didn't happen. And, you know, also, as like, like I said, as being a Chelsea fan, I knew that Jorginho was probably going to score. I looked up his record of penalties. He's only missed four in his entire career. He's 29 of 33. So that's an 88% clip of shooting penalties, which is amazing. Anybody you can shoot... That's like shooting a free throw in basketball, and it's definitely not as easy as shooting a free throw in basketball because when it's a penalty, it's usually it's a lot more pressure than a free throw. And you know he shoots all the penalties for Chelsea, and this year he was Chelsea's Premier League uh, Premier League leading scorer with seven goals, and all of them were penalties. So he's great at what. He's great at penalties, and obviously this does not count as a penalty uh, in his stat book because it's not a regulation thing. It's a shootout. But still, like he's just so good at it. He has a little hop, a little skip, and then he kind of waits for the goalkeeper to dive one way or lean one way, and he puts the ball in the other corner, which um, seems simple enough, but a lot of people aren't going to take that method a lot of people are obviously going to go with power or placement and most times you do that you know like Danny Olmo you hit it over the bar or you know you hit the crossbar because you're trying to be too precise and the moment gets too big um but yeah I thought you know just I just want to talk about the penalty and how great it was and looking really forward to the finals um for Jorginho and Emerson this will be a chance for them to win the Champions League and also the Euro Cup which would be a pretty good summer for most players if they got that opportunity. Um, swinging over to the other side of the bracket, uh, England versus Denmark. Uh, not as exciting of a game as Spain and Italy, but you know the controversy and storylines in it definitely just as much. The big one off the bat is. Was that a penalty or not on Raheem Sterling? When I first saw it live, I really thought it was a penalty. Watching the replays a couple of times, I really felt he fell down early. Like, it wasn't a penalty. And it felt like he was just anticipating the contact. And the fact the referee blew the call immediately, I thought that it was going to be very certain that it was a penalty. But the replay did not really reflect that. And for Denmark, I feel like that kind of you know, took the wind out of their sail, especially because I know that they were looking into penalties. They just wanted to hold on. And obviously, once you get a penalty, it's almost it's almost super deflating, especially if they score it. Um, but I thought the, it wasn't a penalty on Raheem Sterling. I thought the referee should have at least gone and looked at it. It was probably clear. I don't know. To me, it was clear and obvious that it wasn't a penalty. But they didn't even go check it. And that's kind of par for the course at all the tournaments. Especially this one. Where if the ref doesn't make the call. VAR is not overturning it. Or if the ref makes the call. VAR isn't overturning it. To be like oh it's not. And I thought this was one of the cases. Where I really thought it could have been overturned. But they didn't even go to check it. Which was surprising. But I guess that's just how it's been. So I guess it's going to stay like that. Um, The other thing was. Um, I saw that on a couple of viral posts uh, that there was another ball on the field at the time of that play uh, progressing into the Raheem Sterling penalty. 
So that was weird, the fact that there was another ball on the field and the ref did not stop play. You know, people always talk about, oh, is it rigged? Is it this? And, you know, stuff like that really does kind of give you a pause for concern. I don't like to think it's rigged, but, you know, it really sucks for Denmark because if it gets to a penalty shootout, you know, all the pressure is on England. The history says that they don't make penalties. They're in Wembley. You know, it's, hey, you should have got the job done already. You, you know, you're substantially better than Denmark. All the pressure would have been on England. And England in pressure moments usually come up very small. And their history says that they probably would have found a way to lose. But it didn't come to that. Harry Kane stepped up to take the penalty on Raheem Sterling's sort of penalty call. Ball don't lie, I guess, because he didn't miss the penalty. Casper Spiegel made a good save. It wasn't the best place penalty ever. And then obviously Kane converted the rebound, which really stings even more because Casper Smichel had his hand on the ball. You could see in the replay that he was ready to like caress the ball, but it didn't happen. The ball got loose. Harry Kane put the ball into an empty net. The rest is history. And England marches on to the final at Wembley. Speaking of that, uh, what do I think happens in the finals? Um, is it coming home? Nah, I don't think so. I think Italy are better. They should win, like I mentioned in the previous episode. I think they're the favorites. And I think they get it done, although you can't count out the fact that England's playing at home. They're playing at Wembley. They haven't lost in Wembley. Uh, I've read a stat that they don't, they've never lost at Wembley in a major tournament, so... Something's got to give. And on top of that, Italy haven't lost to England in four matches at, at the last four matches at major tournaments. So something's got to give. And we'll see what happens. I predict maybe an Italy win 2-1. Although as a fan of just, you know, watching penalty shootouts, I know I'm in the minority in this. Only time I like to watch penalty shootouts is when my teams are not involved. So I don't have any dog in this fight. So I would love to see a penalty shootout if it got to that point. Um, I'm predicting a 2-1 win for Italy. So I don't think it goes to a penalty shootout. I think Italy get it done. If not in 90 minutes, in 120 at least. And I'm just looking for a good game. I know England is going to be really tense. It's at home. And, you know, England, they see there's pressure involved because... Everyone's kind of expecting them to, you know, live up and kind of break the curse of England. They haven't won a major tournament since they won in 1966. So it's been 50, more than 50 years since England won a major tournament. And now they're in the final of one against Italy on their home turf. So that's going to be an interesting battle to look at. Uh, We'll leave the Euro Cup there. Did want to cover a little bit of the Copa America with Argentina and Brazil, as most people expected, are in the finals, which everybody wanted. Um, Neymar and Brazil, they kind of squeaked by Peru. Neymar made a great play, uh, getting the assist for the one goal. Everyone thought they would probably roll over Peru because Brazil is Brazil and Peru is Peru. Didn't really happen like that, but Neymar, you know, Brazil got the job done. They Took care of business. You survive. You advance. Didn't play their best game. Peru had a few chances to really equalize um, in the second half, but it didn't happen for them. 
Neymar's had a good tournament, you know, two goals, three assists. He's had a solid tournament, but clearly the best player in the tournament, the best player in the world, best player at the tournament right now. Um, Leo Messi, uh, four goals and five assists. Two of those goals coming from direct free kicks of the highest level. Um, side netting on both penalt- on both free kicks. Um, it's going to be a great matchup. Another This weekend is packed. Saturday, you got the Copa America. Sunday, you got the Euro Cup. Um, just fantastic stuff to look forward to in the next couple of days. Uh, which will make the summer seem less boring with uh, you know the teams being off until the season starts up again in August and September. Um, Neymar said he wanted Argentina. so, And I think, speaking for most of everybody, that's what everybody wanted. Everybody wanted to see Ar- Argentina and Brazil in the final. Messi going to Maracanã, where he played in the final of the 2014 World Cup, didn't get the job done against Germany. He has a chance to do it against, I guess, Argentina's biggest rival in their region, Brazil, and the other powerhouse. See if he can win his first international trophy uh, as a senior player for Argentina. And it's going to be a, I think it's going to be a good matchup. I really would like to see Messi win. Um, Although I think Brazil is obviously a better team overall. And they're at home, so that does play an advantage. Yeah, there's probably going to be no fans, but... Home field is home field, and that's going to be a big thing. Is I think Brazil is better. They should probably win. They will probably be favorites, rightfully so. I just want to see a good feel good story. I want to see Messi win. I want to see him get a trophy with Argentina. We'll see if it happens. I'm predicting it. Um, probably will eat my words, but um, I say Argentina wins. I don't know how they're going to do it. Maybe it goes to a penalty shootout. Maybe it doesn't. I would like to say Argentina wins 1-0. I don't know who scores the goal. I just say somehow they squeak by Brazil, upset them in the Maracanã, win a trophy from Messi, and we'll see how that plays out. If Messi gets a trophy uh, with Argentina, then that monkey's off his back. And they can look forward to the World Cup. I doubt they're going to win the World Cup. But, you know, once you get that monkey off your back one time, you know, it's easy to kind of work with some of the younger guys that they have. It's not the old, old-timers old that Messi was playing with before. So they did bring in a lot of new players. You know, Lautaro Martinez is young. Even though Di Maria is still there, they still have players that are relatively new, young. Rodrigo De Paul. they got players. Emilia Martinez, they got players that are young and upcoming so Messi has a chance to work with this core and have a chance again if they somehow manage to win this major tournament to have another chance in about what 15 16 months time in in um in Qatar at the 2022 World Cup we'll look forward to that and um this episode will be concluded right here and on that note I'm out